Hey, it's Susan. Before we get into this episode, I want to tell you about something I've been working on to help you make more confident decisions about the future of your business. I know that it might seem like a pipe dream right now, but it is possible to feel more confident about the choices you're making in your business when you know, really know, what's going on with your money. So I want to help you by getting on top of your business finances. I'd love for you to join me for a program called Be Your Own CFO. You'll work with me and a small group of business owners over the next five months to help you make better decisions about the way your business earns, spends, and invests money. Together, we'll dig into the data, examine the reports, rethink your money stories, build a budget, and create an action plan. By the end of the program, you'll have a new relationship with the money that flows through your business, and you'll feel wildly capable when it comes to making decisions about it. To learn more about working with me in the Be Your Own CFO program, go to scalespark.co CFO. That's scalespark.co CFO. Then just do an inventory. What did mom think about money, selling, business? What did dad think about that? What did my friends think about that? What were significant memories I have around any experiences with money? Money. You earn it, you spend it, and maybe you even save or invest it. But do you know how your personal feelings and beliefs around money affect your business growth? I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. Today, we're going to talk about the number one way I see my clients getting in their own way, money. Our feelings about money color every part of our businesses. How we approach our finances, both personally and professionally, is heavily impacted by our feelings about money and the stories we tell ourselves about it. Those stories are often rooted in our childhood experiences with money. Were your parents savers who pinched every penny, so now you rebel by spending every penny you bring in? Did your parents never have any money, so now you save like a chipmunk in winter? Often, those money stories and beliefs are so ingrained in us that we can't even see what's happening. It's like being in a glass box. You can't see it, but it's keeping you stuck in one place. So if you get in your own way because you're afraid to invest in a team, that's probably because of a money story. If you tell yourself that the market won't bear you charging any more for your services, that's probably because of a money story. If you want to break seven figures, but the first hundred thousand just sounds like an absurd amount of money to you, that's probably because of a money story. It seems like no matter how much work we do on our money mindset and working through our limiting beliefs, every time we try to hit that next level, they come roaring right back. My guest today, Agnes Kowalski, is an immigrant who went from a poverty mindset maxing out at $40,000 a year as a therapist to consistent six-figure years as a money mindset coach. She now shows entrepreneurs and service providers how to improve their relationship with money so they can increase their income and personal power. And today we are talking money, 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 money blocks, money mindset, and how to avoid letting your own money stories determine the course of your business. Hi, Agnes. Thanks so much for being here today. Hi, Susan. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So I love talking money mindset. I think this is going to be really fun. And I kind of wanted to start off with, you know, what are some of the most common money mindset issues that you see business owners getting tripped up by? 
Yeah, there's there's a lot, right? If you've mm-hmm. never worked on money mindset specifically, um, which means that you're doing all the right things on paper and you're connecting all the dots and you're, you know, you have all these sort of proven ways of doing things, but the money's not coming in. It's hard to receive money or you have like a charge, an energetic feeling around money when you get it or you worry about getting it. So that's how you know it's a money mindset block, right? Mm. When, when you're doing all the things, but it's still not showing up. So some of the common things that I see is that I see entrepreneurs looking very short term, quick turnover, make money quickly. You know, it should be here already. I should already be at this place. And there, there can be just a short term vision, not a long term, not an achievement over a lifetime. And as soon as you start putting deadlines on how fast you should be somewhere, you're, you're going to create some money mindset stuff. I've never really thought about it in terms of like patience. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you put in a deadline, you're, you're just in logic, right? You're just going to be in that really logic based place, which is fine when you're looking at data, but when you're trying to draw in and have the energy of like attracting things to you, deadlines are going to freak you out. (laughs) <laughs> well, and it kind of inherently creates that like scarcity mindset sure. because you've set this time and this goal. And if you're not there, yeah, then, you know, you yeah. just, it's really hard to have an abundance mindset when you are, exactly. when you have this thing that you have not met. Exactly. Different from like having a goal or a desire that you're aiming for and you're sort of checking in on the data, you know, at the end of the month, you know, where did you get to what worked and what didn't work, right? Versus like, it has to be this by this amount because other people are doing this and, and that creates a lot of scarcity. It creates, like you said, it creates an inherent scarcity. I'd like to see more entrepreneurs focused on achieving something over a lifetime than I would mm. over over a year or two, because those are the people who make it, the people who have a vision for a lifetime, you know, or at least, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years, like give yourself some time and it'll happen faster. If you do, if you drop those deadlines, it's going to happen a lot faster because you're not working under pressure. You're working under the assumption that this is going to happen over my lifetime. Asking someone if they'll make a um, million dollars this year versus a million dollars over their lifetime is a very different experience, but both would be millionaires. Yeah, that's that's an interesting perspective. I've never really thought about the time construct mm-hmm. that really does drive that. Anytime you can get out of the time construct, because it, cause it's, it's just the pressure that you don't need um, in the first certainly the first few years of your business. You don't need it any time, but it's ask yourself that question. It doesn't matter if it's over a year, five years that I become a millionaire. If you can let that go, you know, you have a lot more room to play. And that that's where you get into the realm of possibility um, versus the kind of a rigid place of by this time, this much, or else I'm a failure. So that's a common thing that comes up. Another thing that comes up is that there's just a limited relationship with money. So money is something we interact with multiple times a day uh, normally. I mean, even during Corona times, I think people are paying bills or they're receiving money or whatever's going on. You're interacting with money and you probably have not taken the time to look at that relationship and see what is 
what's in there, right? Like any relationship where you'd be interacting with someone multiple times a day would be a pretty important relationship to um, observe, be aware of, and take some inventory on. And most people don't. So by the time they get into a business, they now have, they're bringing in all their kind of money baggage and it starts to get amplified in the business. Mm -hmm. So whatever was not okay with about money (laughs) (laughs) then gets like just 10 X or a hundred X or a thousand X in your business. It just gets amplified because everything's happening faster. Right. And, and with more, you know, sometimes more investment, more spending, more upfront costs. And so whatever wasn't working before is now getting, um, amplified kind of like, you know, the Corona times, like whatever was there is coming to the surface. And I think the same thing happens with business is that whatever you had before the conditioning you had before, uh, never got cleaned up and was never like a clean relationship. And so it's murky and it just gets murkier and murkier. The more you interact with it in a unhealthy way, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially in service businesses, Mm -hmm. the inherent kind of our our value, how how much we feel we are worth Mm -hmm. tends to just really get exacerbated in a service business because, you know, you can set your price at whatever. Mm -hmm. There's there's really no uh, Mm -hmm. limits. And, you know, that's where I think it can be extra painful when you are all of a sudden sort of required to put a value on yourself in a, in an explicit way that we don't run into in a normal, like our normal day-to-day interaction. Do you find that? Yeah. Um, And that was the the next thing on my list was, was um, conditioning and fears around that lead you in your pricing. Uh, And I think this is such a beautiful way that you've, um, described it as, is how do we, how can we, and we put this, that's also a narrative that this is my value, right? Versus Mm -hmm. looking at your pricing as kind of like an energetic playground. Okay. If I sold one of these at this price, can I sell two? Can I sell three? Can I sell 10? Okay. I've sold 10. How many can I sell at this price? Versus what is my value? Mm. It, it's a very different thing because your value can is priceless. It's it, there. You can never put a price on your value, right? It doesn't have to do with that. And I think trying to do that is how things get murky and messy. You have a, you have an inherent um, system that just tells you when something feels good, right? When I sell something at this price, it feels good. When I sell it at this price, it doesn't feel good. And I know that's kind of like basic and uncomplicated, but that's the place to start. Your brain, like from a subconscious perspective, um, your brain has a hard time computing things like $50,000 a month when all you've done is sell like 5,000, right? If Mm -hmm. 5,000 is your normal and you're trying to sell 50, your brain, like the logic doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And people who are making that kind of money, it's not really super logical. It's not like, you know, they, they know exactly how they got there. It's the compound effect of selling that one thing over and over and over again, faster and faster and faster. Mm-hmm. Versus people being like, 
you know, I think the most unsustainable businesses are people that are that are putting their pricing on their value on how they value themselves. Don't do that. <laughs> In my opinion, don't do that. Because what if you're feeling crappy that day? You're not going to feel like selling, right? You're not going to feel like selling. Yes. You're not going to feel like the value's there and you're allowed to have bad days. So your your pricing cannot be determined by how you're feeling about yourself that day. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I think we've all been there. Like that's yeah. one of the reasons I've talked about this in previous episodes, but I think that's one of the one of my biggest uh reasons behind like productized services mm. where you say here's the thing and here is the price and it just is. Yeah. Um because then you're not trying in the day to decide like how much do I feel yeah. like I'm worth? How yeah. much do I feel like this person thinks I am worth? How yeah. much money do they have? Um, and all of those kind of emotional baggage things that come along with it. And one of my favorite, um, I guess one of my favorite impacts of moving to a more like, here's the product, here's how much it costs, um, for me was getting out of that whole emotional, uh, just blah, that yeah. came when I tried to sell things because yeah. it really was dependent on like, how was I feeling that day? And what was my interpretation of the person that I'm talking to um, yeah. and their budget? And like, it just made it feel so much better for me because I could just say, here's the thing. And it's no longer tied to me. Like I might mm -hmm. be the one delivering the services, mm -hmm. but it creates that barrier. Um, yeah. Where you not, don't get to mess. Right. Where you don't get to mess with, um, like boundaries, right? Because this, mm -hmm. this all comes down to so much of money mindset comes down to, um, being emotionally honest about things, being emotionally, mm. like being really honest about, I think it's what life comes down to, but <laughs> it, it definitely isn't escaped in the money mindset realm that you have to get emotionally honest about stuff, you know? And, and start from there because otherwise you are building a castle made of sand. Um, if you're not, if you're not honest about it and if you're not like keeping it clean and clear, and if you do have all these kind of murky feelings about how much you should charge and this person gets this much and that person gets this much, um, clean it up because it's very hard for people to invest. You're then going to get people who are scrutinizing that right? Mm -hmm. well, well, how come and why? And, you know, you're going to get these very um, intellectual buyers when really the buying experience should be fun and uh, like enjoyable. <laughs> it should be an enjoyable experience for you and it should be an enjoyable experience for them. And all that murky stuff really leads to probably not so ideal clients. Yes, I could absolutely. Like you are then buying into all of their money issues mm -hmm. yeah um, and then they just all compound yeah and no one wants to feel like them buying from you is gonna pay your light bill they don't mm. want to feel like that and you don't want to feel like you have to get that client to pay that light bill either right and that's why getting emotionally honest you know at any point, if you're listening to this now, start now. If you haven't done it before you started your business, start now. Get emotionally honest about all of it. Go look in your accounts. Go see what the feeling is like when you look at your credit card bills or you know any like loans or debt. Just look at all of it and look at all the charge and look at all the um, 
how it makes you feel, right? Clean, clean these things up so that people aren't stepping into that mess when they buy from you. Hmm. And that you're not like carrying that baggage that you can freely feel like, you know, hey, okay, if I'm charging this much, nobody's buying at this price. It's either it's it's me, right? Because if there's other people selling and it's like in a similar marketplace and I know that I can sell for this much, then there's something going on with me. I either feel guilty about charging that much. I don't feel like the value's there. I'm scared of the responsibility that it might mean by taking that much money, um, which is something that comes up for a lot of people. So take a look at and investigate what's there. The faster you clean this up, the faster you're going to make money. Mm, for sure. Yeah, I've I've talked to a lot of um a lot of business owners that I admire and as I am watching them, one of the things that I asked them was like what is the number one thing that you've done that has made an impact in your in your business? And almost every single one of them said therapy. <laughs> Um, and I think it, it, it makes sense though, because every, every issue, every weakness, everything that you are, especially in a service business, Mm -hmm. it ends up in your business. Like your business takes on those characteristics because you are so much a part of deciding what that business looks like. A hundred percent, hundred percent. You can't, you could probably separate for some period of time, but it'll eventually catch up. Right. (laughs) I mean, I think it's possible. I think there's people who have like enough willpower to separate it for a certain amount of time, but sooner or later it hits the, you know, your personal headline, right? We see it, you know, we see it everywhere in our world where things eventually catch up to people. So you're better off just starting on, um, you know, where you have a process, like we're not looking for perfection, but we're just looking to, um, to clear up patterns. Like people usually have patterns around money and money mindset. There's not a million patterns. There's probably like a couple or a few that keep repeating. And those are compounded over time. It's not that you have such a mess going on or you're so unsuccessful or you're so messed up with money. It's that you keep repeating these same few patterns Mm. over time. And it creates this, you know, energy, it creates this like much more heavier thing than what it really is. Yeah. And sometimes I think it's really hard for us to identify those stories that we're telling ourselves or Mm -hmm. our own, our own issues, because they're so ingrained Mm -hmm. uh, that we, we can't, we just can't actually see them. We can't get out of the box that we've put ourselves in. Mm -hmm. And see what's happening. So how, uh, how do you help people kind of start to identify those stories or start to recognize that what they're running up into is actually um, kind of a, a mindset issue? Yeah. So um, a couple of ways. I think the the first thing is you do the inventory. And I always recommend starting with um, Margaret Lynch's book, uh, Tapping into Wealth. Mm. And just taking a look at all your money stories just taking a look at what's there, you know, opening the closet and taking everything out and just having a look at what, what you've maybe never looked at, what you're aware of that you've been ignoring and just kind of put it all out in the open and, and clean out that closet and take a look. What are my money stories? What did, and even you can get that book at the library. And if not that, then just do an inventory. What did mom think about? money, selling, business? What did dad think about that? What did my friends think about that? What were significant memories I have around um, any experiences with money, right? 
that's one way to do it. Another way is to look at all your um, bank accounts and what is the feeling? What kind of feeling do you have when you open these accounts? What is it? What kind of emotional response are you having? Um, and then just journaling, right? These are the basic places to start is just start journaling. If you put a $20 bill in front of yourself, you could journal for probably 10 pages what you think about that. What does it mean? And take a look at all the projections that are happening around money. Um, that's a place I start with people um, in, in my courses. When I work one-on-one, we go straight to um, looking at the fact that money is about power mm-hmm. and not having money is about feeling powerless. And we start looking at where in my life and business am I feeling powerless and what, what do we need to do to shift that? When I started thinking about money as power, it really changed my experience of how I interacted with it. Tell me a little bit more about that. How, what kind of a, what kind of a change did you see? Um, I just approached it. It really shifted me out of like any kind of scarcity mindset. When I understood that money was about power, I stopped focusing on money and I started to make a lot more money. I started focusing on my personal power. Where was I losing power? Where did I have power lost in the past that I needed to um, heal from? You know, sort of like grief work around you know, there can be so much grief around money, past businesses, business mistakes, financial mistakes, um, relationship mistakes that cost money. Like there's can be so many places we've lost power or continuing to lose personal power. And we need to start healing that and then making more and more courageous choices, um, each and every day in our business. That is the compound effect that starts to attract more money because the people will always be attracted to the most courageous and most powerful people in the room. Okay. So whatever industry you're in, right? The person who, who is the bravest is the one that's going to be attracting people. And money is a place where we tend to feel powerless, right? So the more personal power we get into, the less we fear money, the less we put money on a pedestal, the less we're projecting onto money, if that makes sense. Yeah. So courageous choices, right? So we do, we do, and that might be looking into your past, healing the stuff that's already happened. And then looking at today, where am I hiding? Where am I being comfortable? Where am I not being accountable? Right? Where am I not keeping my word? These are all places where we can recover our power and start stepping into it. And then we feel very different about commanding prices when, when we're in our personal power, right? When we're feeling confident, um, it's much easier to say, I'm charging this much, right? Um, money just is a placeholder. It's a placeholder for our fear, for our insecurities, for our um you know, people pleasing stuff. It's a place, it can be a placeholder for anything really. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the, one of the kind of mindset issues that I see a lot in my work is people putting inherent limitations Mm -hmm. on themselves. You know, uh, they're like you were talking about before that logic doesn't compute when you go to take the next step. And so there's this element of, I can't imagine ever earning that much, mm-hmm. which automatically puts you in the path yeah. not to do that. You know, if, yeah. you, if the biggest amount that you can ever imagine earning is a hundred thousand dollars, it's really hard to get yourself mm-hmm 
past that barrier. And likewise, I think it happens, you know, at every at every kind of next level for mm-hmm. us that inherent limitation, we we end up always kind of bumping up against that. And yeah. um, it, it affects everything. It affects where we think we can um, price our services, what, you know, where we think we can go. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we put our own limitations on it. Can you talk a little bit more about if, if you've seen that or how you've seen that kind of play out? Yeah, for sure. Um, I absolutely have seen that. And it feel because that's still a, like A plus B equals C. So, you know, more time, more work equals more money equation. And if that's the only equation you're working with, um, yeah, it's going to be hard to imagine because you would already probably feel tired and exhausted and doing so much. And how could I possibly like 10x that or 2x that even, right? And it those answers don't come from logic. You know, those, those answers come from thinking really big. Um, and so when you look at people who are making like a million dollars a minute and the Jeff Bezos and people who are thinking, you know, and no judgment either way, however you feel about him. Um, but those are realms of, of like really big possibility. You can't argue that there's nothing rational about making that kind of money. There really isn't right? So we have to play in the realm of possibility to be able to break through income ceilings. We have to learn to play. We have to allow ourselves to play. We have to step into dreaming, which we're taught is really not a place to hang out as an entrepreneur because it's dangerous and you'll get stuck there and you'll, you know, you'll, you'll just never make anything happen. But the opposite is also true that if you never hang out there, you're going to be limited to what you've already created. Hmm. So you have to play, you have to dream. Um, That's where, you know, amazing collaborations come up. You get an intuition to reach out to a certain person that might open up your network again. Um, And that's where, you know, the kind of woo-woo energetic stuff becomes very important. Like, you know, people who are coming up with inventions that can solve really big problems is, you know, because they're out walking, thinking, dreaming, imagining, um, they're allowing that muscle to grow. And so often as entrepreneurs, we're taking care of so much, just as people, we're taking care of so much that's practical and logical and important that we forget that this muscle also has to be developed. You know, a lot of the time, these people who um, make a lot of money out of the gate and it seems like dumb luck is because they just didn't have the inherent limitation to begin with. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. You see this with like musical artists who like have one song that makes like, you know, a million hits and they're like, they, they hit stardom super, super fast is because they were just like, whatever, I just want to make this one really good song. (laughs) And they didn't imagine that they couldn't do it. And often it's people who are young and curious that are in that zone. Not always, of course, there's like people who have developed their craft over time and uh, mastery over time, but you also acquire a lot of baggage the longer you're alive. (laughs) So, you know, if you can stay young and curious and keep your brain really malleable and open to new things a lot, right? You're, you're expanding, you're expanding your neural pathways every day about what's possible. So I don't think it's a logical thing. Like 
one part is you can look for evidence, right? You can go find someone who, who is making, you know, double or 10 X or, or whatever your goal is or desire is, and just observe, like that's evidence for your brain that it's possible, right? That it can be done somehow, right? It may not be the way you want to do it, but it's possible. And you want to start collecting evidence that it's possible. Um, the more you spend time playing and dreaming in what's possible, the more you, like your brain is just a computer that's looking at pictures. If you keep putting your, those pictures in front of your brain, um, it's going to do something about it. It's going to have an idea about it. It's going to make a connection about it. If you keep giving it, you know, the same data it has ever had, uh, it's going to keep giving you the same result. 95% of how we operate is subconscious, unconscious. It's autopilot. How are you supposed to create something new from autopilot? Mm. You can't. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. Your, your brain will think fight right. you, you to the death to make sure you stay in your same habits always. It doesn't want to do anything new. Mm-hmm. Right, which is why we get into working with different people, working with different coaches, working with different accountability support systems, um, because it changes the way we do things, and that makes our brain work differently, right? And that give, mm-hmm. creates new opportunities. That's why that happens when people hire someone; they often see a very quick result um, if they're in a you know possibility headspace, um, is because something new is introduced and it changes the algorithm of what you're attracting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love that. I, I am a huge fan of just get more data. Like the yeah. more data you have, um, the better your brain makes connections. Mm-hmm. And so every time I lean into, you know, get more data, if it's something that I'm unsure about, or, you know, I don't, I don't have that creativity, mm-hmm. you know, I just can't find that creative juice. Mm-hmm. I, whenever I lean into go get more data, it just mm-hmm. always seems to kind of start that that wheel turning. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because it can spiral either way, right? You can compound curiosity and you can compound research and you can go down these cool rabbit holes or you can also compound the negative mm-hmm. and start freaking yourself out and looking at all the data of how things are failing and how much they suck and you'll also manifest that. right like um it's it will go either way like we live in a subjective universe like that's been proven over and over again right so it's both right you need to be able to to look at the practical and be in your like you know professional mode and you need to be able to look in possibility to create something new because the truth is is even if somebody's done it a certain way that might not be the right way for you right so you need to keep staying in possibility to see that way i also work with clients um on their human design quite a bit because i think it helps tremendously in making decisions uh in business talk to me a little bit about um human design i think it's um sort of new and yeah. so can you explain a little bit about that for our listeners that don't yeah, one quick way to go check it out is just go to um, www.mybodygraph.com. I have no affiliation with it. It's just a, a website where you can pop in your stuff, um, your information, and get a quick reading on human design. And human design is basically like an energetic blueprint that is a cross between um, astrological and astrological and um, other kinds of 
numerology, all different kinds of stuff together um, that creates this energetic blueprint around how you what strategy to use when moving through your life. Um, and it sounds very esoteric and it is, and it works. And I challenge you to invite you. I don't challenge you. I invite you to try (laughs) it for yourself and see if it works. And, um, in 20 years of doing this kind of work, being a therapist and a coach, um, I have not come across anything uh, besides grief work that is as powerful and spot on as human design. So it very much speaks to a strategy of making decisions um, and what's correct for you. Because I think in business, a lot of the time we are um, pressured to be initiators, to initiate the sale, to initiate the offer, to initiate the idea. And it, and it leaves out this very important process in life, which is about responding right? Responding to two things versus initiating them. And there's very few designs that are supposed to just initiate, like maybe 30% of people are the initiators and everybody else is supposed to respond to stuff. And for me in business personally, and what I've found in, in my clients over and over again, having seen like hundreds of people and maybe even the thousands at this point in human design is that when you respond, things fall into alignment a lot faster and you spend way less time forcing, pushing, pulling, even though you initially have to be more patient and noticing what you're supposed to respond to. Um, in the long run, it gets you where you want to go much faster because you're listening and you're paying attention versus just deciding, you know, on some arbitrary thought that you're having or being slammed with inspiration left, right, and center and using that to, to drive your business or your ideas versus responding to what's right for you. And knowing what's right for you is like, to me, a huge part of the battle in business, like knowing Mm -hmm. what to pursue and what not to pursue. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I think we, usually have way more ideas than we could or should pursue. Yes. And it's, it's sometimes really hard mm-hmm. to figure out which direction to go, which which idea to start working on, what what yes. to commit to. Yes. And I think if you look back on your on decisions that you felt were successful and you and decisions that you felt like didn't lead you down the right path, you'll you'll see a pattern emerging. Right. And it's very possible that like I spent most of my life making decisions from what was really an incorrect place for me and Mm. often from scarcity. Like I should do this. I should Mm. do this because this is the right thing to do. And on some just practical levels, I agree. If you're a new entrepreneur, you just you do have to just try stuff and you do just have to put stuff out there so that you can start collecting some data. But if I had known how to get into alignment faster, oh, my gosh, I would have (laughs) a thousand percent preferred not making all those mistakes, you know, Um, because it's there really is an art to that. And we don't live in a really patient um, environment, right? There's there's this sense of needing to pursue and, you know, the obsession with productivity and, you know, all the things that are in the construct of the world we live in um, that often cost us a lot of time and energy that that is unnecessary. Hmm. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about this scarcity hmm. thing. So right now... Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are really feeling it um, in a very real 
way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned earlier that it was important not to be making decisions from Mm -hmm. that place. But when scarcity is very real and Mm -hmm. you are concerned about paying your bills or concerned about cash flow or paying your employees, Mm -hmm. like how do you get out of that place? Yeah. Place into one where you can have a more abundant mindset and be able to make decisions kind of disregarding (laughs) the current reality of the situation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's a couple of things, right? For me, scarcity was always about, um, it's a values thing, right? It's a values thing. So for example, like quality versus quantity, how how fast you want something versus how um, the longevity of something. Like, would you rather have, you know, McDonald's five nights in a row or just go out to a restaurant once a month, a really nice one? So part of it is, you know, depending on what environment you were raised. And for me, I was very much raised in scarcity. My parents were children of the war, Um and survivors. And it was, it was really all about scarcity. So it was about get what you can, when you can, however you can hold on to it, save it. Don't give it away. Don't give it to anybody. Like (laughs) the feeling energetically, it was shrinking. It was a shrinking kind of feeling. Right. And so to me, whether you have a lot or a little, and you're in a real sense in scarcity, it's still about how you value what you have right now. How do you value what you have right now, right? You may have to reduce, you may have to um, get rid of certain services, you may have to pare down, but can you be grateful for what you have? Can you enjoy what you have? Can you value what you have right now? For me, scarcity was about not valuing really what I had. Hmm. And so having less and less and less, because there wasn't a lot of value. Um, and that wasn't because I wasn't a grateful person is because I didn't feel good. I didn't feel good in my life and I didn't feel happy. And so a lot of the spending and a lot of the working and earning was hard. It had a hard, it, it, there was a hard experience to it. So for me, it's like, how, how are you going to be in the scarcity? Who are you going to be? Who are you being in the scarcity? Because who you're being is going to be who you're being when you're wealthy too, Mm. right? If you focus on the beingness, you're focusing less on the doingness, which is really where you want to be. You want to be the kind of person that, that can be vouched for, whether you have a dollar in your bank account or a million dollars in your bank account. You want to be able to look in the mirror and be like, you know, I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of the work I'm doing. I'm proud of the way I'm I'm managing my life. Um, no matter what's going on externally right now. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think that's one aspect around scarcity is like, what are my values? What, what's really important to me? Maybe I can't have those luxuries. Maybe I can't do those things right now, but here are the things that matter. And I'm going to double down on being grateful that I have that because that keeps you in that possibility mindset. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the place of like anything could happen and anything could change. Right. So, um, it's, it's not about being, I guess the way to say it is to not become a victim in the scarcity. Mm. 
And because that's the thing that will then chip away at your confidence, your self-worth, your, and all the things that make it possible for you to sell or make money or, you know, bounce back. You don't want to chip away at that. So if you feel sad about the scarcity, you feel upset, then feel your feelings around it. Don't let that narrative take over everything else, right? Separate Mm -hmm. that and feel your feelings about it and don't drag it over. So much of what we have to do with money has to do with um, emotional health, right? Emotional honesty and emotional um, intelligence. So making sure you're not like, you know, taking a dump on everything you've done and everything you've built and everything that's happened because you're in this moment right now. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a really important piece around scarcity. Whereas, you know, the scarcity mindset that turns into victim stuff is like painting the whole picture with that brush. It's not the whole picture. So another piece to this is not pretending that it's not happening. Right. Mm. This isn't about pretending that that's not happening. Um, it's very important to validate those feelings and be emotionally honest. Here's what's really going on, right? What's the worst case scenario? Okay, here's the worst case scenario. What am I going to do in that worst case scenario? Have that plan B, right? Have that plan B of like, okay, if everything hits the fan, here it is. Here's what I'll do. But don't live there. Know that you have some kind of option, some kind of, you know, something you'll have to do if it comes to that point, but don't live there. Don't live there, but be real. Here's what's really going on. And then don't let that brush paint everything. Double down your gratitude for everything that you have. And it sounds really like trivial to do that, but that's the power that you have. You may not have the power to change your economic situation right now. You have the power to change how you think about it. Mm -hmm. Go back to balance, right? Go back to balancing where you're like, here's what's in front of me. Here's what I can do with this right now. And here's, um, here's what I want to dream about because that also has to be in there. If we squash that completely, we're going to feel really hopeless. And we need to keep hope alive. We need to keep faith alive. We need to keep be able to keep showing up, right? If we're business owners, we have to keep showing up, even if we're in scare, like if things are scarce um, or if resources are scarce right at this moment, be really clear about that, right? Be with yourself and then keep showing up. You still need the energy to show up because the emotional energy it takes to focus on lack is tremendous, it will take all the energy that you have. <laughs> yeah. I think we probably all felt that at some point in the yeah. last few weeks, like everybody's had. And I think you're right. You know, at, at least for me, when I've had that feeling, it's when I lost hope, like when I just mm-hmm. couldn't, when I couldn't, you know, see the light at the end of the tunnel or mm-hmm. a light at the end of the tunnel, when it just felt like I couldn't find Hope. And I think you're right that, you know, being able to hang on to even just a glimmer yeah. um, is so important. Yeah. And, and what you might have to do, and I think this is so, you know, if you're in this position and we, we have all been, and we may all be again in the future, um, we for sure will, because life is about change and the law, you know, to, to me, the definition of grief is the loss of hope, dreams, and expectations, or the change of something that was familiar, So Mm. we will continue to experience this throughout life. We can't stop that. But acknowledging that there's been a loss 
of hope, dreams, or expectations and doing the grief work around this, which is why even as a money mindset coach, I decided to certify um, as a grief um, recovery specialist, because I think it's such a huge piece in what blocks us emotionally, even in our businesses, even if even around money. There's so much loss of hope and dreams and expectations that can happen in times like this. If we acknowledge we can move on, if we do the process and we do the work to letting that go, we can start fresh. We don't have to drag that into the next chapter, right? And it's super important to acknowledge it and talk about it if it is there and not just ignore it and like, you know, try to paint it with like positivity if that's not what's really going on. We need to yeah. acknowledge it, deal with it, and then we can move on. Yeah, the ostrich in the sand uh, strategy very rarely <laughs> works when it comes to money. <laughs> yeah, it definitely doesn't work, right? It amplifies, it compounds, and yeah. then, you know, it wears you down over time because it's not an easy journey, and it's um, certainly, yeah, not for the faint of heart. You need a lot of support and accountability and community um, when you're in business. It's so, so important because it's very easy to isolate um when this, when you're experiencing these kinds of losses, because people feel ashamed to talk about it. Yeah, I think the the shame aspect is mm -hmm. so underrated, because I think we all feel probably an element of shame, it comes out in, in different ways. But even just as a culture, mm -hmm. you know, we're taught that it's not okay to talk about money. It's, we're taught that it's okay to not um, be real about it. Yeah. And there's this kind of, especially when it comes to the money parts in our business, you know, we don't want to, we, we answer, oh, we're fine. When somebody asks us how mm -hmm. things are going, even if behind the scenes, it's just a total disaster because we feel yeah. like we should be telling people that it's fine. Yeah. But also I think there's an element of, you know, if you do have a community and you're telling them that you're fine, they can't support you. Yeah. They can't help you. Yeah. Um, well, and it really speaks to how our trust has been, um, abused over time, right? Mm. When we did tell people the truth, what happened? Yep. Did they hear us? Did they listen to us? Did they just like give us intellectual advice? Mm. <laughs> How were we met when we shared with people, right? And I think that really speaks to the kind of, you know, I'm fine culture that we live in, um, where other people, you know, everyone's doing the same some version of that. And so no one's ever really being emotionally honest and we're, you know, kind of living behind these masks and, and the businesses that, that thrive are the ones that are really, you know, driven by heart, I believe, mm. you know, and I mean, of course there's ones that don't, <laughs> that are, that aren't driven by heart that still succeed much to our chagrin. But I think in terms of like solopreneurs, those people really who, who put it out there have business long businesses over time. You know, I do believe that I do believe I've been able to be an entrepreneur for 20 plus years. Um, and through every evolution, right. But it's tremendously, I would not be here if I hadn't been supported in a variety of ways. So it's, it's certainly an important piece around money mindset for sure. Yeah. So as we kind of wrap it up here, is there anything you think we should talk about that we haven't kind of touched on yet? Um, no, I think we've actually <laughs> I <laughs> we had think a we really a comprehensive <laughs> discussion. <laughs> I always I think, like to kind of have that opportunity at the end, though. Yeah, I think just, you know, remembering that you're human in this business is really important and that you're human is just someone who wants to be happy. 
(laughs) (laughs) that you just want to be happy and that's an okay thing to want, you know? And, and I think sometimes our expectations of what we're supposed to do and be able to achieve and, and how fast and how much I think really breaks our spirit. So just remember that there's a human here in this meat suit who just wants to be happy and, and you deserve some of that. Oh, I love that. I think that's the perfect place to wrap it up. So where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more about what you do? Yeah, um, just at my website, www.agneskowalski.com. I do like to hang out on Instagram uh, under the handle Agnes Kowalski and Facebook as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. This was a really fabulous conversation. Thanks so much for having me, Susan. As a culture, we're still really uncomfortable talking about money openly, which means that it's extra hard to ask for help in this area when we need it. There's so much shame wrapped all around it. Maybe you're embarrassed by how much money you make. Maybe it's because it's either a lot or a little. Or you're ashamed that you never really learned how to read an income statement. Or terrified that somebody from the outside will realize that even though it looks like your business is fine, It just feels like a disaster on the inside. I've been talking to a lot of people over the last few weeks doing research for my new program, and the theme that just kept coming up again and again was confidence. So few business owners actually feel confident about how they're handling their money, even if they're people who are pretty good at it. And really, it's not that surprising. We don't teach money management in schools. If you happen to be good at it, It's usually either a result of having parents who were and who taught you how to handle money or because you went out on your own to find ways to figure it out. The one thing that Agnes said that stuck with me was this. The bravest people make the money. It's brave to decide to tackle your issues around money. It's brave to talk about it openly with your business friends. And it's brave to ask for help when you need it. Your business will see the benefit. If you step out of that glass box and get rid of all those limitations, there really isn't a glass ceiling to break through anymore. Plenty of business owners, even the successful ones, feel like they're shooting in the dark when it comes to how they spend, save, and invest their money. Like you, they wonder if the ads they're buying and the software they're investing in or the people they're paying are really paying off. And that's stressful. Feeling uneasy about how you're spending or investing your money isn't fun. I want something different for you. I want you to feel wildly capable with your money. I want you to feel confident that every decision you make is guided by your financial intel. I want you to feel the peace of knowing that every dollar you spend for your business is going toward building a business that runs better and makes more money. This is what I do for business owners when I step in as their chief financial officer on demand. I help them parse the numbers, look for opportunities, and trim the fat. We get clear on where they're getting in their own way and where the math just doesn't add up. But I firmly believe that playing the role of CFO is something that every small business owner can do for themselves. And I'd love to help you become your own CFO. I'd love to work with you along with a small group of business owners over the next five months to help you make better decisions about the way your business earns, spends, and invests money. Together, we'll dig into the data, examine the reports, rethink your money stories, build a budget, and create an action plan. By the end of the program, you'll have a new relationship with the money that flows through your business, and you'll feel wildly capable when it comes to making decisions about it. 
To learn more about working with me in the Be Your Own CFO program, go to scalespark.co slash CFO. That's scalespark.co slash CFO. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode is edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Runbeck. <laughs>